Experiencing Priesthood Power Women who help lead the church were asked about how the power of the priesthood affects their lives. Here are some of the thoughts they shared. Men and women have different but equally important responsibilities in the home and the church. Priesthood power can help each person perform those responsibilities for the benefit of all. Because God's priesthood power is on the earth today, great blessings are available to all worthy church members, whether they are old or young, male or female, single or married. President Joy D. Jones, Primary General President. Service enlarges our soul, broadens our perspective, and allows us to draw upon God's power in more abundance. The Lord knows this, but so does Satan. In his ever-vigilant attempt to distance us from the power of God, the adversary would overwhelm us or cause us to feel that what we have to offer is inadequate. Never second-guess an act of kindness. By intentionally making service to others part of our life, we will discover the mysteries of God. We will discover peace, find strength, and receive an increase of power as we serve our Savior Jesus Christ. President Bonnie H. Corden, Young Women General President. Too often, women compare themselves with others, but none of us feel good in that comparing. Each woman has a unique blend of abilities and talents, and all are God-given gifts. Just because you and I are not the same, or any number of women aren't the same, doesn't make us any less or more. We need to find our gifts and develop them, remembering who gave them to us, and then use them for His purposes. As we share our gifts to bless others, we are experiencing the power of the priesthood in our lives. President Jean B. Bingham, Relief Society General President. Frequently look for opportunities to increase your understanding of the doctrine of the priesthood. Each of us will need to seek this understanding for ourselves. Studying the scriptures and words of modern prophets will provide a rich foundation for this knowledge to grow. So will obedience to God's commandments and living true to the covenants we have made. So will obedience to God's commandments and living true to the covenants we have made through priesthood ordinances. Understanding is given to us line upon line, precept upon precept. 2 Nephi 28 verse 30. Through personal revelation, it distills upon our souls as the dews from heaven. Doctrine and Covenants, section 121 verse 45. Sister Lisa L. Harkness, First Counselor in the Primary General Presidency. Each of us is on a trek. We trek through relationship challenges, financial challenges, and mental and physical health challenges. We trek through overwhelming assignments and our daily list of things to do. Some of us may be trekking through grief, or even loneliness, or boredom. Our challenges are different, but we all have them. Keeping our covenants does not mean that these challenges will be removed but it does mean that the Lord promises to be with us. Sister Michelle D. Craig, First Counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. I envision priesthood power as a single, fine, smooth white thread that comes from God and loops in and out, up and around, seeming to have its own direction in our lives. But over time, an intricate pattern is revealed. That design covers the altar of God, the holiest place where we bind on earth and bind in heaven. Whenever I see an altar cloth in the holy temple, I feel it is one of the temple's most powerful symbols for how the Lord lends His power to His faithful children 
in order to gather and bind together in an intricate holy design. Sister Sharon Eubank, First Counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency. Through my own life experiences, I know that keeping the Lord's commandments, having faith, and fully trusting Him are ways we access His priesthood power. As we remain faithful, we can receive those priesthood powers and blessings in all aspects of our life. It can provide us with protection, comfort, strength, peace, and promises that reach into the eternities. Through that priesthood power, the Holy Ghost also helps me to recall experiences in my life that continue to build my testimony and faith in God. Sister Christina B. Franco, Second Counselor in the Primary General Presidency. Years have passed since I received my patriarchal blessing, but I remember the experience vividly. That experience has molded many decisions I've made throughout my life. I knew in order to realize those desired blessings, I would have to do my part. I now see that there is even more that our Father wants for me to receive, even more than was stated in my patriarchal blessing. Sister Becky Craven, Second Counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the age of 26. Even though I had a soothing feeling in my heart as I followed the desire to be blessed by God by making a covenant with Him, I know that my understanding of that covenant was just like a small seed at that time. As the years have passed by, and as I have been making an effort to keep that baptismal covenant and other covenants I have made with Heavenly Father, I feel that He has blessed me with a deeper understanding about Him about my Savior, and about my role as a covenant daughter of Heavenly Parents. Sister Reina I. Alberto, Second Counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency. Read by Amanda Saria. The Essential Role of Women by President M. Russell Ballard, Acting President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. The work of the Kingdom of God cannot fulfill its true destiny without rolling forward hand-in-hand hand with the faithful, wonderful sisters of the Church. Women have remarkable influence. No one else can help move the gospel kingdom forward and make the world a better place quite like they can. When you sisters join with other covenant women in unity and harmony, there is no limit to your influence for good. I have witnessed your significant and eternal influence in individual lives, as well as in families. And I have seen it in countless cultures and countries around the globe. I have seen what you can accomplish in branches, wards, stakes, missions, temples, and general church assignments. Your contributions in small and large businesses and charities, as well as in civic, educational, health, and sports organizations are immeasurable. Women in Councils For years I have spoken about the power of councils with faithful women participating. Your insight and counsel are absolutely essential. Today the Lord has richly blessed the church and the world because more sister missionaries are serving faithfully in mission leadership positions and participating in mission leadership councils. More are receiving their endowments earlier thereby enlarging the number of Temple Covenant women serving in the Church. The sister leaders and general presidencies pray and speak in general conference. 
Women in the Scriptures Some women wish they could find more stories of women in the Scriptures and in church history. We need to develop the skill to find their influence, as did one young sister. She said, Mormon must have had an amazing wife to have raised a remarkable son like Moroni. If you look carefully and with the right spirit, you can find similar manifestations of effective nurturing throughout the scriptures. For a number of years now, the church has focused attention on the faithful sisters in the church and their contributions. For example, I invite you to examine the topic, Women of Conviction, found at history.churchofjesuschrist.org. The role of the Pioneer Sisters was remarkable. When writing about the Pioneers, one author, who was not a Latter-day Saint, stated, Their women were incredible. As we look for and find women in our scriptures and in our history, we will see better the power and influence women have in our family, community, the church, and the world. Balancing Options In my lifetime, we have seen numerous women appointed and elected to public offices, fill positions as CEOs of major corporations and organizations, and admitted in increasing numbers to prestigious business, law, and medical schools. Joseph Smith told the Release Society in 1842, I now turn the key to you in the name of God, and this society shall rejoice, and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time. This is the beginning of better days for women. We are seeing the fulfillment of this prophetic vision as new opportunities for advancements for women unfold in unprecedented ways. Balancing everything among all the available options can be a challenge. In the end, most of us have to choose among competing options. Of course, we have a divine pattern to follow as outlined in the family of proclamation to the world. But we know that mortality can be complicated. Many women are single for long periods of time. Some women are married. Others become single when a spouse dies or when they divorce. And some women may never marry. Nevertheless, if we are faithful and endure to the end, no righteous desire will be denied, and all blessings ultimately will be received. Each of you must come to know what the Lord wants for you, given the choices before you. Once you know the Lord's will, you can move forward in faith to fulfill your individual purpose. Blessings in Store If members of the church who worship in the temple are attuned, they will come to realize that the Lord has marvelous blessings in store for His faithful daughters and sons throughout eternity. And what are those blessings? This contextual insight from President Dallin H. Oaks first counselor in the First Presidency, explains them. The purpose of mortal life and the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to prepare the sons and daughters of God for their destiny to become like our heavenly parents. The gospel story is a family story, nothing more, nothing less. It begins with heavenly parents, and it ends with children making their way through the sometimes exhilarating, sometimes overwhelming challenges of mortality and back to their heavenly home, having received all of these essential ordinances of eternal exaltation. 
That's the story of our lives. God has given us the outline, but He leaves us up to us to flesh out the details through our choices and faithfulness. There is an extraordinary happy ending in store for all who desire it. But before we can claim it, we have to become more than just His children. We have to become His disciples. Women as Disciples of Christ Life is filled with distractions that have the potential to lead us away from the core teachings of the church, especially the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, The fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that He died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. The Atonement of Jesus Christ is at the heart of our message. It is our core value. It is our doctrinal center. It is the heart and soul of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have not yet felt the truth and power of the Savior's Atonement in your life, I invite you to refocus on the central message of the Restoration, a message declaring that we can be made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 69. Sisters, please do whatever is necessary to stay focused on the simple and central message of the restoration. Accept it, understand it, embrace it, love it, Share it. Defend it. Women of Covenant Power Now I would ask you to do the same thing the Prophet Joseph Smith asked the Relief Society sisters to do. The Relief Society is not only to relieve the poor, but to save souls, he said. Every sister in this church who has made covenants with the Lord has a divine mandate to help save souls, to lead the women of the world, to strengthen the homes of Zion, and to build the kingdom of God. Please help us to keep the church moving forward by helping to generate increased faith in the lives of our individual members. Righteous and faithful women have always played an essential role in saving souls and defending the kingdom of God. However, you women of this last dispensation have especially important roles and responsibilities to fulfill. You are women of determination, faith, dedication, and action. Like faithful sisters in the past, you need to learn how to use the priesthood authority with which you have been endowed to obtain every eternal blessing that will be yours. I ask our Heavenly Father to bless you, that you may have the peace and calm assurance that what you do within the church is essential to the growth and preparation of this world for that day when the Lord and Savior will say, It is enough, and will come to rule and reign. The work of the kingdom of God will roll forward, but it cannot fulfill its true destiny without rolling forward hand in hand with you faithful, wonderful sisters of the church. End of the article, The Essential Role of Women by President M. Russell Ballard, Acting President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Read by David Shaw.
Gospel Basics Jesus Christ asked us to take the sacrament. We are cleansed and healed as we remember our Savior each week. Before He died, Jesus Christ ate one last meal called the Last Supper. At the end of this meal, He introduced the sacrament to His followers. He broke bread and blessed it. This do in remembrance of me, he said. Then he blessed and shared a cup of wine. Part of weekly worship. When the church of Jesus Christ was restored to earth, the sacrament became part of weekly worship. During church, the sacrament is blessed and passed by those who hold the priesthood. They pray using words from the scriptures. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verses 75 through 79. Then each person in the congregation eats bread and drinks water to remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, the way he asked us to. Preparing to partake. To get ready to take the sacrament, we should honestly think about our lives and choices. We should repent of the mistakes and sins of the past week, including asking God for forgiveness. We don't need to be perfect to take the sacrament, but our hearts should be humble more than bread and water. Taking the sacrament is a sacred, holy time. The sacrament prayers remind us that as we take the bread and water, we are remembering the body and blood Jesus Christ gave for us. We promise to follow him and live a Christian life. We promise to try to keep God's commandments. In return, the Holy Spirit will comfort, guide, and heal us. Renewing Covenants when those of us who have been baptized take the sacrament with a pure heart, we renew the covenant we made at baptism. This includes receiving the Holy Ghost and being cleansed from sin as if we were baptized again. This is the hope and mercy Jesus offers each one of us. It is never too late to repent and be forgiven. What do scriptures say about the sacrament? We should examine ourselves spiritually, honestly looking inward, before taking the sacrament. See 1 Corinthians 11:28. After he was resurrected, Jesus showed his people in the Americas how to take the sacrament. From 3 Nephi 18. Modern prophets have told us to use bread and water for the sacrament, but what we eat or drink doesn't really matter. See Doctrine and Covenants 27, 2. Sometimes those with allergies need to use another bread-like substance. Words to Remember We hope you have enjoyed learning about the sacrament. Here are some other gospel terms that you can learn about in this issue. Priesthood, God's power here on earth. See page 12. Sustain, when we raise our hands at church to show we support someone in their calling. See page 27. Millennium, a thousand years of peace that will happen when Christ comes again. See page 29. Hymns, sacred songs for worship at church and home. See page 30. End of the article, Gospel Basics, Jesus Christ Asked Us to Take the Sacrament. Read by Scott Christopher. The Church is Here. Hong Kong, People's Republic of China. Most people think of Hong Kong as a bustling port city packed with people. But in the suburbs, it's less crowded. Membership doubled in last 10 years.
six stakes, one mission, one temple. 1949, mission headquarters established. End of article, read by Gene Nelson. The world needs faithful women. Since the last days of Mother Eve, women have played an essential role in helping bring to pass God's plan for his children. This month, we have the chance to learn more about some of the women who were pioneers in the early days of the restoration of the gospel. For example, on page 25, we can read about Emma Smith's courage. As we study Doctrine and Covenants 25, we hear the Lord's words to her, asking her to create a collection of sacred hymns. The restoration continues in our day, and the world needs the significant contributions of faithful women more than ever. On page 12, you can read how those of us who serve as general officers in the church have seen the power of the priesthood at work in our lives. This priesthood power, available to both men and women, is what allows God's work to continue on earth. You can also read a message from President M. Russell Ballard on page 8 about the women who help shape his life. Regardless of our gender, age, race, or other circumstances, we all are beloved children of God with divine heritage and potential. Sincerely, President Joy D. Jones, Primary General President. End of the article, The World Needs Faithful Women by President Joy D. Jones, Primary General President. Read by Jane Wise. Tribute to a Seminary Principal by Joanne Bergevin, Washington, USA. We often bless the lives of others without realizing it. My husband Jerry had been in poor health for several years when he became seminary principal for the wards that met in our meeting house. I don't think anyone knew how difficult it was for him to get up early every morning, especially during the dark, cold winter months, and go to our building. Sometime later, he passed away. Several years after Jerry's passing, I was surprised to receive a touching letter from a young woman who had moved away years earlier. She had tucked it into her wedding announcement. The letter read, I absolutely adored your husband and was so sad to hear he had passed away. He was the best seminary principal we ever had. Every morning he would wait in between the doors and open them as he wished everyone a good morning. After class, he would open the door again and say, have a good day at school. I always made sure to say thank you and occasionally tell him how grateful we were to have him. I felt safer with him there. He was always so humble and his kindness was recognized by all. I think my attendance was better because I didn't want Brother Bergevin waiting in the cold, thinking I was on my way or I was late. He was an incredible man and he will always be remembered. I'm sure that Jerry had no idea anyone would still think of him so many years later. Yet this thoughtful young woman still did, and she was kind enough to send me this sweet letter, which I was grateful to receive. The hymn, Each Life That Touches Ours for Good, number 293, begins with these lines. Each life that touches ours for good reflects thine own great mercy, Lord. Thou sendest blessings from above through words and deeds of those who love. 
I chose this hymn for Jerry's funeral because I believe that we often bless the lives of others without realizing it. I know that Jerry blessed many lives with his generosity, service, and love. Read by Amanda Saria. André and Giselle Pimentel, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Giselle, after we were sealed in the temple, a lot of things were not working well. We thought that maybe the time had come for us to go back to Brazil. André, our bishop told us we could help a lot of members in Brazil and grow in ways we might not in the United States. He counseled us to stay close to the church. Go to Brazil and serve the Lord, he said. Discover more. Read the Pimentel's story at churchofjesuschrist.org slash go slash 32117. Read by Wes Nelson, April Johnson, and Corey McClellan. A Scramble to Sacrament Meeting by Elise Brantingham, Arizona, USA. I thought we had missed the sacrament again. When we moved from the United States to Vietnam, my husband and I were determined to never miss church. After a year, we hadn't missed a single Sunday meeting, but we were frequently late and often missed the sacrament. Our sacrament meeting started at 8.30 a.m. With three little children, getting ready for church on time often seemed impossible. As a family, we decided that we needed to arrive consistently on time for church and partake of the sacrament. It was a struggle, but we made it to church on time four Sundays in a row. I noticed the difference our efforts made. We had more spiritual experiences during the week. The following Sunday, however, we woke up late. It was already 7.30 a.m. I told my husband that it was hopeless, but then I thought about how we would be blessed if we did our best to get ready anyway. So we hustled. By the time we got to church, we were 20 minutes late. I felt that we had failed. We heard singing when we walked in, and when I opened the door, someone was going up to the stand to pray. Was that the opening hymn? I whispered to the missionary standing by the door. Yes, he said. We started late today. I was stunned. I thought we had fallen short again, but we arrived at church just in time. Tears streamed down my face as I felt Heavenly Father's love for my little family and me. Later, we learned that when the missionaries had arrived at church that Sunday, they realized that no one had brought bread for the sacrament. No store was nearby, and bread can be hard to find in Vietnam. After a momentary panic, the elders remembered they had bread at home. A few days earlier, the elders had come to our home for dinner. That evening, I had prepared homemade bread for them. Church had started late Sunday morning because the elders ran home to get the bread I had made for them. God sees our efforts as we strive to keep His commandments. Although we sometimes fall short, He loves us and will prepare ways for us to succeed, even when it's just to get to church on time. End of the article A Scramble to Sacrament Meeting Read by Rena Nelson I Want to Go to Paradise by Pascal Kwame Kwasi Avijan, Ivory Coast. When I prayed and asked God about this new path, I felt more convinced of the truth I had found. 
I had been a committed member of another church, but then I started studying its teachings about purgatory. This idea teaches that the soul, after physical death, is admitted to a place similar to prison, where it must be purified before going to paradise. As I thought about suffering souls in purgatory, I reflected on my own spiritual future and my relationship with Jesus Christ. I began praying, what must I do to escape purgatory? I want to go to paradise. The first thing that came to my mind was to live the Ten Commandments. I felt that if I did, the Lord's grace would allow me to avoid purgatory. I committed to keep the commandments and began an intense period of fasting, praying, studying the scriptures, and meditating. During this time, I felt prompted to ask an unusual question of a doctor at the clinic where I worked as chief accountant. Dr. Thibault, I said, is the Lord Jesus Christ in your church? He stated that he belonged to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. From that point on, the Spirit guided our discussion. I asked him about the differences between his church and mine. He told me about the Book of Mormon. As we continued our conversation, joy filled my heart. I felt that I was receiving answers to my prayers. Two days later, the missionaries gave me a Book of Mormon, which I read and studied with them. I found it wonderful to learn new things from the scriptures. I started obeying the word of wisdom. When I realized I had lost interest in my church, where I had been so involved, I wondered what was happening. I prayed and asked God about this new path. When I did, I felt more convinced of the truth I had found. I decided to join the church, even though I knew I would face persecution. Persecution did come, but the Lord strengthened me. I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was the answer to my sincere prayer, I want to go to paradise. I know I can go there after I die if I remain faithful to the commandments of God. End of article, I want to go to paradise by Pascal Kawami Kawasi Abijan, Ivory Coast Read by Jeff Hawkins Ministering Principles Supporting each other in our efforts to use media wisely These ideas and resources can help if those you minister to have questions about technology use. One of the most common questions families face in many cultures today is how to use media and technology appropriately. Today's digital devices have quickly become entrenched in many cultures, transforming many of even our simplest daily activities. With its seemingly endless potential for good and for evil, many individuals and families are looking for good information about how to use media safely. Marta, names have been changed, a church leader in Spain has seen how her smartphone has enhanced her gospel study, made it easier to stay in contact with those she ministers to, assisted in her personal development as she has used the Gospel Living app and allowed her to get more done in her calling. However, she knows she struggles to put away her phone when she could be interacting with her family. Kwon, a teenage boy in Korea, uses the family computer often for school research, assignments, and projects. After his schoolwork is done, he fills his spare time with online gaming. His parents are worried. Every day, Declan, a young adult in Kenya, sees people with smartphones in hand. 
it seems they can instantly access information that would make his life so much easier and more interesting, including scriptures, magazines, and other church content. But after paying his expenses, there's no money left for a smartphone. Declan feels left behind. As we minister, how can we support and strengthen our brothers and sisters in their search for answers about this sometimes confusing topic? Here are some ideas and resources for ways to use media wisely. Suggestions for using media and technology wisely. Seek purposeful ways to spend your valuable time outside of technology, including ministering to others, developing skills and talents, and participating with others in meaningful hobbies and other activities. Have a specific purpose for using technology and limit its use when you are bored, lonely, angry, or stressed. These and a variety of other emotions can make you vulnerable or susceptible to using technology inappropriately. Find healthy ways to respond to emotions. Be disciplined. Use settings that allow you to track or limit time spent on your device. Be like the Savior. Give undivided attention to someone when they are talking to you. Prioritize personal connection. Maintain a balance between electronic and non-electronic forms of communication, especially when sharing heartfelt feelings or important thoughts. Take regular breaks. Invite everyone in the family to be deliberate about routinely taking breaks from their devices. Train yourself not to respond immediately to every notification and alert. Starting a conversation. Start a discussion on this important topic by sharing the struggles or questions you have regarding technology and media use. Ask what they have found that helps them. There is much you can learn using this approach. It may also provide opportunities to share some of what you've learned. Scriptures you could share. Prophets have invited us to be wise. See Jacob chapter 6, verse 12. To be temperate in all things. See Alma, chapter 7, verse 23. To watch our thoughts, words, and deeds. See Mosiah, chapter 4, verse 30. And to be good examples. See 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12. Helpful Resources Learn how managing your use of technology can help you connect more with family and friends. Read How to Manage Digital Devices and Get Your Family Back. Leahona, August 2020, pages 26 through 31. Enzyme, February 2020, pages 30 to 35. Read Safeguards for Using Technology, 2018. Although written for missionaries, the guidelines in this booklet can be adapted to any individual or family. It is available in 28 languages in the Gospel Library or in print through distribution centers or the online store. End of the article, Ministering Principles, Supporting Each Other in Our Efforts to Use Media Wisely. Read by Casey Wayman. For Parents, Sacrament and Music. Dear Parents, Church magazines are made with you and your family in mind. This month, the magazines focus on themes such as the sacrament, inspiring music, the role of women in the Restoration, Easter, 
and preparation for general conference. See below for ideas on how you can make the most of this month's issues to strengthen your family's faith in Christ, as well as your own faith. Gospel Discussions The Rise of the Church Read Elder de Hoyos's article on page 36 and discuss the blessings you receive by being a part of Christ's Church, such as having living prophets, true doctrine, and priesthood ordinances. The Importance of Music why is music special to the Lord? Listen to, sing, or play the new arrangement of the song He Sent His Son on page 34. Then, share your thoughts about the music or lyrics. For more about the importance and blessings of music, read the article on page 30. The Role of Women in the Restoration On page 25, read about how Emma Smith diligently safeguarded the Book of Mormon. How have women blessed the Church and how do they continue to do so? You could also read President Ballard's message on page 8 and thank the righteous women in your life with a written letter or kind deed. Making the Sacrament Special Read the story of a family in Vietnam on page 18 and consider how your family could make the sacrament more special. Ideas might include listening to or singing hymns on the way to church, remembering scriptures describing Christ's character, while you think of him during the sacrament, or pondering the words of the sacramental prayers. You can also use page 6 to teach your children about the sacrament. Come Follow Me Support See page 26 for a family-friendly object lesson, scripture chain, and other material to support your weekly Come Follow Me study. Family Study Fun Beautiful Creations of God Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verses 17 through 19 Read Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verses 17 through 19, about how God created heaven and earth and all things which are in them. 1. Take a moment to look out a window or go on a walk. 2. Point out the creations of God that you see. 3. Verse 18 tells us that God created man, male and female, after his own image and in his own likeness created he them. We are some of God's creations too. Take a moment to admire all the things your body can do. What are your talents? 4. In verse 19, we are commanded to love and serve Him, the only living and true God. How can you use your talents to serve Him? Discussion. How can we worship God? Idea contributed by Brenda Slade and Lisa Thomas. In this month's For the Strength of Youth magazine, The Heart of Easter, The Living Jesus Christ. Talk with your teens about this message from Elder Garrett W. Gong, celebrating how Christ lives for all of us. Conference Notebook This is a great way to prepare for and take notes during general conference. Like a window to your soul Share this story about how an interfaith music group in Florida, USA, touched lives. How to Always Have the Spirit Elder Piper shares great tips on how to invite the Spirit to be with us each day. Media Safety Support Read about a girl who learns what it means to use technology wisely. Also find a bonus page with tips and ideas to help your children use media in safe, positive ways. Getting to Know the Doctrine and Covenants Use an activity page to help your children know what the Doctrine and Covenants is and where it came from. Easter in Russia Read about how one family celebrates the Savior's resurrection during Easter time 
Scripture Time Fun. Find weekly activities to help your family study Come Follow Me, including a section with ideas especially for toddlers. Hope in Christ. Read an Easter message from President Henry B. Eyring and do an activity that tells the story of Easter. End of Sacrament and Music, read by Wes Nelson. Looking back to October 2020 General Conference. President Russell M. Nelson, President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A New Normal, page 118. Quote, Live each day so that you are more prepared to meet your Maker. End of quote. Six new temples announced. As announced by President Russell M. Nelson in the October 2020 conference, temples are being planned for the following locations. Tarawa Kiribati, Port Vila, Vanuatu, Linden, Utah, USA, Greater Guatemala City, Guatemala, Sao Paulo East, Brazil, Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, We Talk of Christ, page 90. Quote, As the world speaks less of Jesus Christ, let us speak more of Him. End of quote. Blessed during adversity. Latter-day Saints have been highly favored of the Lord during the challenging times we have encountered for the past several months, said Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He gave three examples of blessings that enabled us to endure the challenges that have come. Home-centered gospel learning. Ministering in a higher and holier way. Heightened joy in the return of temple ordinances. See, Highly Favored of the Lord, page 103 through 105. See also Dieter F. Uchtdorf, God Will Do Something Unimaginable. Pages 51 through 54. End of the article. Read by Jean Nelson. Early Women of the Restoration Emma Protected Scripture by Jennifer Reeder, Church History Department Like Emma Smith, we can honor the scriptures and courageously defend truth. Just after midnight on September 22, 1827, a carriage quietly bumped along the countryside near Manchester, New York, USA. Joseph and Emma Smith were heading to a hill where an ancient record, written on gold plates, waited for them. An angel named Moroni had told Joseph to bring the right person with him to get the record. Through personal revelation, Joseph knew that his wife, Emma, was that person. Emma waited as her husband, Prophet, received the plates and then hid them in a hollow log. The sun began to rise as the couple returned home. The next day, Emma heard from Joseph Smith Sr. that a group of men were plotting to steal the gold plates. Taking a spare horse, she rode more than an hour to warn Joseph, who was able to secure the plates in a locked box. This was not the only time Emma protected priceless scripture. On the couple's journey to Pennsylvania, she helped hide the plates in a barrel of beans. During the translation process, Emma gave Joseph a linen cloth to cover the plates as they sat on a kitchen table during the day and bought a red leather box for the written paper manuscripts. 
She also asked her brother-in-law for a box, which she and Joseph kept under their bed and where the plates were locked each night. Several years later, Emma protected the manuscript of the prophet's translation of the Bible, carrying it under her skirt while crossing the frozen Mississippi River. In addition to protecting scriptures, Emma helped with the translation of the Book of Mormon. She was Joseph's first scribe, carefully writing down verses we use today. She sewed a pouch for a seer stone Joseph sometimes used to translate. At the end of her life, Emma remembered the role she played in helping share these scriptures with the world. I was an active participant, she said. She testified that Joseph was a prophet of the Restoration and that the Book of Mormon was a marvel and a wonder. See a longer article about Emma Smith with detailed sources in the digital version of this issue in the Gospel Library at churchofjesuschrist.org and in the mobile app. End of Emma Protected Scripture, read by Kara McClellan. Doctrine and Covenants, Sections 20 through 22. March 1st through the 7th. Joseph Smith was inspired by the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation for the Savior's restored church. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 21, Verse 2. Through him, correct doctrines and priesthood authority were restored. This created a solid foundation for the reorganization of the church in April 1830. This object lesson will illustrate the importance of having a strong foundation for the church. What builds a strong foundation? Preparation. You will need at least six plastic or paper cups, a flat surface, for example, a piece of cardboard, baking sheet, or wooden board multiple heavy objects such as books or rocks. On each cup, write a principle that helped build the foundation of the church, such as priesthood or scriptures. You can find principles in sections 20 through 22 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Building a Foundation Begin by asking your family how much weight they think a single cup can support. What about multiple cups? Place the cups face down on the ground or a table. Arrange them in two lines, with three cups in each line. Place the flat surface on the cups, and begin placing the heavy objects on top. How much can it hold? Discussion. What does this object lesson teach you about the structure of the church? Read Doctrine and Covenants, section 21, verses 1 through 6, and discuss your answers as a family. End of Come Follow Me. Read by Dwayne Case. Doctrine and Covenants, sections 23 to 26, March 8th through the 14th. What does common consent mean in the church? The Lord has commanded that all things shall be done by common consent in the church. Common consent allows church members to sustain those called to serve in the church, as well as other church decisions requiring their support, usually shown by raising the right hand question. What if I can't sustain someone? In rare instances, an individual may know a valid reason why a member should not hold a calling. In such cases, the dissenting member can meet privately with the bishop or stake president to discuss their concerns. Question. Do we vote when we sustain members? 
No prophet, or any other leader in this church for that matter, has ever called himself or herself. No prophet has ever been elected. The Lord made that clear when he said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You and I do not vote on church leaders at any level. We do, though, have the privilege of sustaining them. From President Russell M. Nelson. The same is true for all callings. Sustaining is a chance to show and give our support and to acknowledge the will of God. Question. Is raising our hands to sustain members just a simple formality? By our sustaining vote, we make solemn promises. We promise to pray for the Lord's servants and that He will lead and strengthen them. We pledge that we will look for and expect to feel inspiration from God in their counsel and whenever they act in their calling. From President Henry B. Eyring. Sustaining members in their callings should continue as long as they worthily hold the calling. End of the article, What Does Common Consent Mean in the Church? Read by Scott Christopher. Doctrine and Covenants 27 through 28, March 15th through 21st. Who receives revelation for the church? In August 1830, Hiram Page, one of the eight witnesses of the Book of Mormon, claimed to have received two revelations about the future location and organization of Zion using a black seer stone. These revelations contradicted previous revelations given to Joseph Smith, but many members believed them. Revelation for the Church When Joseph prayed about Hiram's revelations, the Lord taught, No one shall be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church excepting my servant the prophet. Doctrine and Covenants, section 28, verse 2. He declared that those things which Hiram hath written from the stone are not of me, and Satan deceiveth him. Doctrine and Covenants, section 28, verse 11. Hiram eventually discarded his revelations, and all members unanimously confirmed that the prophet was the only revelator for Christ's church. Why is it important to know that only the living prophet can receive revelation for the whole church? How does this protect us from deception? Look to the prophet and apostles. President M. Russell Ballard, acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, cautions, Keep your eyes riveted on the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. We will not lead you astray. We cannot. If someone tells you that they have received revelation that the First Presidency and the Twelve have not received, run away from them. Read by Amanda Saria Doctrine and Covenants, Section 29 March 22nd through the 28th What will happen in the millennium? When the Savior returns to the earth, there will be 1,000 years of peace known as the millennium. Using the scriptures, find the answers to the following questions about the millennium. Who will be the king over all the earth? Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, verse 59. What will it be like to live on the earth during the millennium? Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verses 26 through 31. Section 63, verse 51. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, and Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. What will we learn during the millennium? Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verses 32 through 34. 
What will happen to the righteous? Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verses 1 through 8. What will happen to Satan? Doctrine and Covenants, section 43, verse 31. Section 88, verse 110. And 1 Nephi, chapter 22, verse 26. What will we do during the millennium? Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 4 and 7. And section 45, verse 58. What will happen to the wicked? Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 9, and verses 17 through 21. What will happen to those who have passed away? Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verses 26 through 29. Discussion. How does the millennium fit into God's plan of salvation? How does knowing that the Savior will come again increase your faith and hope today? End of What Will Happen in the Millennium Read by Corey McClellan Keeping Music at the Heart of Worship By Jan Pinborough, Church Magazines Music has always been and always will be at the heart of worship, at church and in the home. Not many weeks after the church was organized, the Lord directed Emma Smith to make a selection of sacred hymns, which is pleasing unto me, to be had in my church. Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, verse 11. The saints needed ways to learn newly revealed gospel truths and to unite in praising God. And hymns would be at the heart of their worship and learning. Years ago, when my family joined the church, my parents encouraged us to learn the music of our new faith. I have some vivid memories of that time. Memorizing, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire with my family. Hearing, Oh my Father, and learning that I have a heavenly Father and Mother, whom I can see again one day. Feeling God's love while singing, My heavenly Father loves me, even though I lived in a desert and had never actually seen a lilac tree. Fast forward to a sacrament meeting in late February 2020. Several members of our ward were dealing with cancer, and I felt deeply comforted when the ward choir sang, How Firm a Foundation. A few weeks later, a series of unnerving events came along. Quarantines, church cancellations, and a series of earthquakes and aftershocks. And that hymn started playing through my mind again. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Sometimes it seems like global and personal challenges are growing almost daily. More than ever, we need the spiritual sustenance of hymns, primary songs, and other sacred music. No change in purpose or importance. However, as we changed to the two-hour schedule for church meetings, some wondered if the role of music has been diminished in our worship. The answer is no. 1. Sacred hymns are still part of every sacrament meeting, including helping to prepare our hearts for the ordinance of the sacrament. Choir and congregational singing and other sacred music can still be planned to enrich the meeting, just as before. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Sacred music was still an important part of shortened sacrament meetings, 
even when it was instrumental only. 2. Our children now spend half of their time in primary learning the gospel through music. 3. In the second hour, there are no opening or closing songs for adult and youth classes, but music can still be used in classes to teach and inspire. 4. It's easier than ever to listen to sacred music on digital devices using the church's sacred music app. Less prescription, more intention. Still, there have been some misunderstandings. One Easter Sunday, a teacher apologized to her gospel doctrine class. I know we aren't supposed to sing in Sunday school, but I would really like to sing I Know That My Redeemer Lives together. That teacher is probably not alone in this misunderstanding. In reality, music is still just as essential in our worship as it has ever been. Witness the landmark update currently underway of our hymn and children's song collections. As part of that effort, church members worldwide submitted a remarkable 16,000 new hymns, songs, and texts. But with fewer set times for singing in some of our Sunday meetings, we do need to be more thoughtful and intentional in planning and using music. Two key principles can help us keep music at the heart of our worship. One, indispensable in teaching. We may think of talks and discussions as the primary means of delivering gospel messages at home and at church. We may spend most of our time on those elements, but music is not an ornamental extra. It's at the very heart of teaching with power and with the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul advised the early saints, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 Music can instantly bring the Spirit into a lesson or meeting. Choosing a song to sing during a Sunday school class or a Come Follow Me discussion deserves the same thoughtful, prayerful consideration as the scriptures we choose to read or the part of the lesson we choose to share. Music that is prayerfully chosen can touch hearts, leaving spiritual impressions that may last a lifetime. 2. A Prayer Unto Me At certain points, we may all experience times when we feel broken, times when the path before us is unclear. Sometimes, it may seem that we just keep throwing the same urgent need heavenward without any answering response or resolution. At such times, it might be tempting to conclude that God doesn't care or that we're unworthy of His caring. Sometimes, we might even feel like giving up on prayer. For times when we feel a lack of spiritual connection with heaven, here's a comforting truth. Sacred music can actually be a form of prayer. The Lord Himself explained this when He assigned Emma to make our first hymnal. For my soul delighteth in the song of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, verse 12. And when we sincerely offer the song of our heart to him, the Lord promised to always answer with a blessing. And it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. Wherefore, 
Lift up thy heart and rejoice. Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, verses 12 through 13. At one difficult point in my life, I couldn't discern answers to my heartfelt prayers for a long period of time. A dear friend of mine was going through some difficulties of her own. But as we played and sang hymns and gospel songs together, we often experienced overwhelming feelings of solace and testimony. I now recognize that the Lord was fulfilling His promise. He was answering the songs of my heart again and again, and that really did help me lift up my heart and go on. On any given Sunday, we can be sure that some in our congregations, some in our classes, and some in our families are in the deep waters of personal affliction. Others will be in peaceful valleys with blessings overflowing. Still others will be just learning the basic truths of the gospel. When we keep music in its proper place at the heart of our worship, we can help all find opportunities to fill the Spirit, to learn gospel truths, and to praise the Lord for His goodness. And we can help all have the songs of their hearts answered in the ways that only our loving, eternal Father can do. Sidebar The Power of Music President Russell M. Nelson, President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said, Music has power to provide spiritual nourishment. It has healing power. It has the power to facilitate worship, allowing us to contemplate the atonement and the restoration of the gospel with its saving principles and exalting ordinances. It provides power for us to express prayerful thoughts and bear testimony of sacred truths. Music is a divine language. Angels and God's creations praise Him with song. See Alma chapter 36 verse 22 and Doctrine and Covenants section 128 verse 23. Music expresses faith. See Acts chapter 16 verse 25. It expresses the joy of conversion and redemption. See Alma chapter 5 verse 26 and Alma chapter 26 verse 13. And all will sing at the Lord's coming, and all shall know me who remain, even from the least unto the greatest, and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice, and with the voice together sing this new song. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 98. Read the text of the song in verses 99 through 102. End of the article. Keeping Music at the Heart of Worship Read by Rena Nelson Doctrine and Covenants, Sections 20-22 through 22. The Rising Church By Elder Benjamin de Hoyas of the Seventy The Savior's Church has been restored with true doctrine, priesthood power, and sacred ordinances. Years ago, during my first week working in the church's public affairs office in Mexico, we received an invitation from a radio talk show. The show, which discussed world religions, offered us 45 minutes to talk about the church. What a great opportunity, I told the area president as I shared details of the invitation. Whom should we send to represent the church? He responded, You, of course. I was new in the office and very young. I was surprised he didn't suggest someone with more experience. 
Nevertheless, I prayed, prepared as best I could, and invited a companion to join me. Soon we found ourselves at the radio station. We have with us this evening two representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the program director said as he introduced us. Then he asked, Why does your church have such a long name? Why don't you use a shorter, more commercial name? My companion and I were happy to answer such a great question. We explained that the church's name was not chosen by a man. Rather, the Savior himself revealed it through a Latter-day prophet. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 115, verse 4. The program director respectfully responded, Then we will repeat the name in its entirety with great pleasure. And he did numerous times. I still remember the sweet spirit we felt as we explained the origin of the church's name and how that name refers to the Savior and to the members of his church today. My companion and I answered a lot of questions, many of which centered on the church's name. The experience was a blessing for the church in our area and for me. In 2018, President Russell M. Nelson asked Latter-day Saints to restore the correct name of the Lord's Church. He promised that if we will do our best to follow that counsel, the Lord will pour down His power and blessings upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints, the likes of which we have never seen. President Nelson renewed that promise during the April 2020 General Conference. During the short interval since President Nelson asked us to use the Church's correct name, His promise has already begun to be fulfilled. With millions of members now sharing the Church's proper name, more and more people know that we believe in and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, I believe that the Church is enjoying a resurgence in influence and respect. Doors are opening, and the restoration is moving forward. As God's children come to understand that revelation continues today and that the Savior's Church has been restored with true doctrine, priesthood power, and sacred ordinances, they will want to know more about the Restoration. Living Prophets Section 20 of the Doctrine and Covenants begins with these significant words, The Rise of the Church of Christ in These Last Days. Since the Church's organization on April 6, 1830, the Lord has directed that rise through leaders, He is called. The prophet Joseph Smith was inspired of the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation of the restored church. Likewise, in our day, the Lord is inspiring President Nelson to lead the church, build it up, and move the cause of Zion in mighty power for good. During the April 2020 General Conference, members of the church saw confirmation of the Lord's continuing guidance and His church's continual rise when President Nelson read, the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a bicentennial proclamation to the world. We gladly declare that the promised restoration goes forward through continuing revelation, he said. The earth will never again be the same. President Nelson added, The heavens are open. We affirm that God is making known His will for His beloved sons and daughters. The Lord promised to bless early church members who heeded His will as revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith. Those promises extend to us as we follow the Lord's chosen servants today. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good 
and his name's glory. Doctrine and Covenants, section 21, verse 6. True Doctrine One of the things young Joseph Smith learned in the Sacred Grove 200 years ago was that the religious professors of his day taught for doctrines the commandments of men having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles recently declared that similar religious shortcomings in our day leave the hunger and hope of some unfulfilled, and that a variety of doctrinal dissatisfactions are leading some away from traditional ecclesiastical institutions. What the world needs and what the Lord offers are the sweet, saving doctrines found in their plainness and fullness in the restored gospel. True doctrine is found in the Book of Mormon, which contains the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and to the Jews also. It teaches of life's purpose and explains the doctrine of Christ, which is central to that purpose. The Book of Mormon testifies that all human beings are sons and daughters of a loving Father in heaven, that He has a divine plan for our lives, and that His Son, Jesus Christ, speaks today as well as in days of old. True doctrine is found in the Doctrine and Covenants, which a prophet is called the binding link between the Book of Mormon and the continuing work of the Restoration through the prophet Joseph Smith and his successors. True doctrine is also found in the teachings of modern prophets and apostles the Lord has called in our day to protect us from deception. We know that what they speak under the influence of the Holy Ghost is the will, mind, word, and voice of the Lord. True doctrine inspires, strengthens, and comforts because it invites the Holy Ghost, reveals the plan of salvation, and testifies of Jesus Christ and His Atonement. Priesthood and Ordinances The Lord invites all of us to come unto Him and His Church and receive the ordinances of salvation. Ordinances are essential to the Lord's true Church as is priesthood authority to administer them. Among other things, those looking for the true Church of Jesus Christ should expect that the Lord has stipulated proper baptism and the duty of members after they are baptized. They should expect to find a lay ministry and the duties of those lay ministers, and they should expect opportunities to minister as the Savior ministered. Ministering in the restored Church sets us apart. Priesthood service means ministering to all, including those not of our faith. Ministering blesses both those ministered to and those who minister. Finally, those looking for the Lord's true church should expect to find priesthood authority and ordinances that can bind families for eternity. What does it mean for you that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth? asked President Nelson during the April 2020 General Conference. It means that you and your family can be sealed together forever. It means that because you have been baptized by one who has authority from Jesus Christ and have been confirmed a member of His Church, you can enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. It means that priesthood power can bless you as you receive essential ordinances and make covenants with God and keep them. What a blessing it is to be members of a church that is rising and that is led by living prophets and apostles. May we never take for granted the Lord's divine guidance, 
His restored church, the power of the priesthood, and the ordinances that bless us now and in eternity. End of the article The Rising Church by Elder Benjamin de Hoyas of the Seventy Read by Casey Wayman Aging Faithfully I'm Not a Baby Grandpa by Michael R. Morris, Church Magazines Spending time with my little granddaughter highlights the beauty of the present and evokes echoes of the past. My granddaughter Lily just turned four, but I still call her by her toddler nickname, Baby Lils. When I do, she reminds me, I'm not a baby, Grandpa. She may be right, but I hope not. I've decided that if I keep calling her Baby Lils, maybe she won't grow up so fast. So I will keep calling her Baby Lils, at least until she reaches the age to start driving. Of course I know, I can't hold back the rush of days, months, and years. I tried that with my own children and failed. Our lives pass away, as Jacob says, like as it were unto us a dream. Jacob chapter 7, verse 26. Before I know it, our youngest son will become a missionary, leaving my wife and me with a house full of empty bedrooms and echoes of childhood. I recently heard a character in a movie say, Age deepens all feelings. I believe that is true. By the time you live half a century or more, you've experienced many of life's joys and sorrows. Love grows with loss, and you know that happily ever after comes in the next life, not in this one. As I look into Lily's face, I wonder what deserts she will cross, what burdens she will bear, and what thorns in the flesh she will suffer. See 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I pray that the Lord will protect her, for a few years at least, from these mortal lessons that are vital to our spiritual and emotional growth. I pray that He will strengthen her when those trials come, as they come to us all. For this moment, however, I dismiss such thoughts. I try not to think too much about the future. I don't want to miss the beauty of the present. Come get me, Grandpa, Lily says as she runs away. I chase her from one room into the next. Her sweet laughter is music, and her bright face is sunshine. For a moment, twenty-five years disappear. I am now in the past with Lily's mother, my daughter. She is four again, and like Lily, she giggles as I chase her through the house. Then another memory comes. It's 1974, and my brothers and I are visiting with our great-grandfather, Curtis Ellsworth. It is the last time I will see him in this life. He will die a short time later, at age 90, while I serve a mission in Guatemala. In this moment from the past, I wonder, what is Grandpa Ellsworth thinking as he looks upon us, his posterity? Does he remember when his own children were small? Does he worry about our future? Do we remind him that life passes swiftly? As we said goodbye in that long-ago moment, I remember that Grandpa Ellsworth wept. For decades I wondered why. Now I think I know. Please send your feedback. We are planning to feature articles in each magazine specifically for our older readers. What topics would you like to see covered? Email your ideas to Leahona 
at churchofjesuschrist.org. We'd love to hear from you. And the article, I'm Not a Baby Grandpa, by Michael R. Morris, Church Magazines. Read by David Shaw. Digital Only The Heroic Influence of Righteous Women by Jocelyn Turley Women have a powerful role in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of my favorite childhood memories are of me curled up beneath my sheets, holding my flashlight as I scanned the final pages of a beloved book. The battle was won, the characters I loved were safe, and I was happy. I would lie awake, wondering what it would feel like to be the victorious main character, and when I'd finally drift off, I would have a grin on my face. I loved living vicariously through the characters in my books because I was certain that someone as ordinary as me could never be a hero. I quietly held on to this belief until it was challenged a few weeks ago in my college psychology class when I was asked to write about my heroes. The first faces that came to mind were of the women in my life. At first, I pushed back against this idea, thinking that so many people write about how their mothers or aunts or young women leaders are their heroes. But then I realized that was exactly the point. Most of the people who've changed my life aren't social media moguls or billionaires or renowned experts. My heroes are people who have taken the time to show me Christ-like love and help me understand who I truly am. Our power as righteous women comes from realizing our own importance, our divine identity, and our capacity for accomplishing many things. In turn, realizing our own worth allows us to help others understand their strengths and their infinite worth as well. Sister Jean B. Bingham, Relief Society General President, encouraged us to find our gifts and develop them, remembering who gave them to us, and then use them for His purposes. As we share our gifts to bless others, we are experiencing the power of the priesthood in our lives. It is so important for women to always understand that the world needs your strength, your conversion, your conviction, your ability to lead, your wisdom, and your voices. Furthermore, as mighty as we can be as individuals, we are far stronger when we come together. Burdens can be heavy when we stand out or stand alone, but together we can bear one another's burdens by mourning with those that mourn and comforting those that stand in need of comfort. We need to stop judging and competing with one another as the world does. We need one another in the ongoing restoration of the gospel. When I was younger, I defined heroism as one person saving the world through an extraordinary sacrifice. Heroism was something you would see in a news story, a daring firefighter pulling a baby out of a burning building, or a brave husky rescuing its owner during a brutal winter storm. But my definition of heroism has been expanded. Heroism is the loaf of bread from a ministering sister because she was inspired to serve you. Heroism is sending an encouraging text to someone because you felt a prompting that they needed to hear your words. Heroism is offering your shoulder to be stained by the tears of a mourning sister. Heroism is humble, quiet, and brave. 
Heroism is the courage to take small steps to serve and love others, even in moments of exhaustion, uncertainty, or apathy. Heroism is wrought in small ways, for by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. While the light of our individual heroism may have a seemingly small radius, it is together that the light of Christ's love can reach every corner of the world. As our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson has said, My dear sisters, nothing is more crucial to your eternal life than your own conversion. It is converted, covenant-keeping women whose righteous lives will increasingly stand out in a deteriorating world and who will thus be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways. As cool as dragons and magic and epic battles are, one day, when I read the book of my life, I want to see that I was patient in the face of adversity, kind in the face of cruelty, and meek in the face of hate. I want to read about me conversing with the lonely and defending the marginalized, helping them see themselves the way God sees them. I want to know that because I was confident in who I was and knew the power of my influence, I helped change the world for good, helped further the work of the Lord, even in small ways, and helped prepare the world for His return. And when I do, I'll see I did it with the help and influence of my beloved sisters and women who have been amazing examples of discipleship. Jocelyn Turley is a student with a passion for scribbling down stories, taking family names to the temple, and meeting new people. You can find her planning many trips with her pals, devouring podcasts, or hiking through leafy green forests around her upstate New York hometown. Discover more. You can find more articles about the significance of righteous women in the March 2021 Liahona. End of the article, The Heroic Influence of Righteous Women, read by Rena Nelson. Learning about Christian traditions made Easter more meaningful to me by Hannah Mortensen, Church Magazines. After taking a class on world religions in college, I realized that I could make Easter even more meaningful to me as a Latter-day Saint. Over the course of a semester in college, as I sat in a small lecture hall learning about religions around the world, I always found something relatable to my personal journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ, be it a ritual, a guiding principle, or a verse of sacred text. The biggest takeaway I gained from the class was the knowledge that God inspires His children everywhere. I love what Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, We honor and respect sincere souls from all religions, no matter where or when they lived, who have loved God even without having the fullness of the gospel. We embrace them as brothers and sisters, children of our Heavenly Father. He hears the prayers of the humble and sincere of every nation, tongue, and people. He grants light to those who seek and honor Him and are willing to obey His commandments. With the Easter season approaching, here are some practices found around the world that I find inspiring. Although we as members of the Church don't practice all these traditions, looking to how some other Christians remember the Savior can help us make our own Easter celebrations more meaningful too. Lent Lent is a tradition celebrated by some Christians around the world. It's a period of spiritual humility and growth, 
starting six weeks before Easter, where believers prepare themselves for the holiday through personal sacrifice. This includes special days of fasting and almsgiving. During Lent, believers are also encouraged to abstain from something physical, like a favorite food, game, TV show, or hobby, and dedicate the extra time that would have been spent on that thing to spiritual study and prayer. I love the idea that Easter can be a transformative experience between the Savior and me. As Latter-day Saints, we don't practice Lent, but learning about it has made me want to give more of my time to remembering and preparing spiritually for Easter, whether through fasting, studying more of the Savior's life in the Scriptures, or even doing family history work or indexing to help me remember how much the Savior's sacrifice means to me and to all my ancestors. Easter Eggs I grew up in a home where dyeing boiled eggs was a beloved tradition. In some European countries, like Ukraine and Lithuania, the process is quite intricate. Instead of boiled eggs simply being dyed, the eggs are hollowed, detailed with beautiful wax patterns, and then painted. The final product is a hollowed egg that symbolizes both the empty tomb and the beautiful hope the resurrection brings. It's so easy to forget the powerful meaning behind the many traditions we have, but it's important to take a moment to ponder what they mean and how they help us. The next time I dye some eggs, I want to take more time to carefully create a beautiful representation of my thoughts. The Lord's Supper Many Christians partake of the Lord's Supper or the sacrament. The more I learned about how symbolic the sacrament is and how important it is to so many religions, especially in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the more I realized I've often taken that weekly gift for granted. Many Christians focus on preparing for the sacrament mentally and spiritually before they partake. I was struck by the power that the sacrament holds for these believers because of their preparation. Their example made me consider my own preparation for the sacrament. I've now thought of many ways I can prepare spiritually for the sacrament every week, making the ordinance meaningful in my life as I focus on what it truly symbolizes. Learning from Others All around the world, people celebrate in different yet profound ways. In Spain, church bells stop ringing for a few days before Easter to honor Christ's suffering and death, and then they return on Easter. In Russia, family, friends, and strangers greet each other by saying, He is risen, and the other person replies, Indeed, he is risen. Easter celebrates the most joyous event in the history of the world, an event that I draw continual hope from. The examples of believers and cultures all around the world have reminded me to make my celebration meaningful with thoughtful preparation and to devote more time to drawing closer to God. And most importantly, they have reminded me why we celebrate this holiday and how it can bring us closer to Christ. Read by Amanda Saria. Sacrament During Quarantine, A Glimpse of God's Love by Ben Burningham Administering the sacrament at home opened my eyes to its true meaning again. Sometimes familiarity and routine have the tendency to rob otherwise sacred moments of their full meaning. For me, I had let the sacrament lose some of its intended meaning. Each week, I listened to the sacred sacramental prayers while seated in nearly the same pew in the same chapel, surrounded by a familiar congregation. But the COVID-19 pandemic disrupted this routine, 
and reset my perspective. Unable to join others in the chapel, I found myself receiving the sacrament in a new setting, gathered around my dining room table with my small family. Doing something familiar and routine in this new setting brought a fresh perspective and, with that new perspective, renewed meaning. Although I had participated in the sacrament ordinance hundreds of times in my lifetime, doing it where I ordinarily joined my family for a meal and conversation highlighted the familial undertones of the sacrament in ways I hadn't appreciated before. One Sunday in particular, as I knelt and uttered the words, We ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, my attention went to my precious four-year-old son sitting close to me. There he sat with his arms folded, listening to the prayer, radiating innocence and goodness. With this brilliant sight in my mind, I continued to offer the prayer. As I spoke the words, The body of thy son, a question entered my mind. What would it be like to willingly sacrifice this innocent son of mine and submit him to incomprehensible pain and suffering? In a word, unimaginable. Pondering this impossible question, I continued with the prayer. The words, Take upon them the name of thy son, brought another question to my mind. God is also a father. How could he sacrifice his son? As I looked at my other family members, who, like me, desperately needed the sacrament, the simple but profound answer came, divine love. It seemed as if the windows of heaven briefly opened to reveal a portion of our Heavenly Father's pure love, so great a love that He sacrificed His truly innocent, perfect Son for us, His other children. In view of this sacrifice, no matter the difficulties and inequities of life, including a deadly pandemic, disrupted economies, civil unrest, an unbelieving world, and general uncertainty, how could we seriously doubt His love for us? Lest we forget, the sacrament serves as a weekly reminder of this deep and enduring love. In routinely considering the unparalleled gift of His Son, we can find comfort and overcome the temptation to doubt the Father's love or concern for us during challenging times. Without properly considering the eternal fatherhood of God and His role in Jesus Christ's atonement, the sacrament ordinance feels incomplete to me now. It stands as a constant reminder to me of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and an expression of Heavenly Father's love for me. And it is because of this lesson in love that I will always treasure our at-home sacrament experience. End of the article, Sacrament During Quarantine, A Glimpse of God's Love. Read by Scott Christopher. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at leahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. Becoming Better Stewards of the Earth God Created for Us by Elder Marcus B. Nash of the Seventy The better we care for this world and all in it, the better it will sustain, inspire, strengthen, enliven, and gladden our hearts and spirits. From an address given at the 18th Annual Stegner Center Symposium at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, on April 12, 2013,
For the full text, go to newsroom.churchofjesuschrist.org forward slash article forward slash elder dash nash dash stegner dash symposium. My avocation is to be in nature, whether hiking, skiing, sea kayaking, cycling, or even going on a safari. As a child, I loved to be in the woods and to feel the silent, eloquent witness that the towering evergreen trees bore of the Creator. As I've grown to adulthood, I have learned by study and faith that if we understand who we are, the purpose of life, and the reason the earth was created, and keep these things in mind, we will treat this earth and all in it in a higher, nobler way. God's Purpose in Creating the Earth The Lord, through His prophets, both ancient and modern, has tried to help us understand and appreciate the gift of living on this beautiful earth. In the Old Testament, David considered the majestic creations of God and wondered aloud why, amongst such wonders, God is mindful of man. David concluded that humankind is special, a little lower than the angels. Moses also saw in vision worlds without number, and declared, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never supposed. In Moses's humility before the magnificence of God's creations, he failed to comprehend a great truth. So the Lord showed him again his limitless creation and pointedly declared that he, God, made these creations to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. This earth, indeed all creation, is designed to help us gain immortality and eternal life. Speaking again of the purpose of the earth, the Lord said, We will make an earth whereon these, meaning us, may dwell, and we will prove them herewith, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. Life on this earth, coupled with the gift of moral agency, provides us the opportunity to choose to seek and someday receive all that God offers. When the creation of the earth was completed, God was pleased, because He saw that it would serve His purpose for us, His children. The sons and daughters of God, and the families they form, are not mere interlopers on this earth. Rather, they are central to its purpose. We are to be good stewards. Life on this earth is both a blessing and a responsibility. The Lord declares, Behold, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, and that which cometh of the earth is ordained for the use of man for food and for raiment, and that he might have in abundance. However, because the earth and all on it are the workmanship of his hand, it all belongs to him. As temporary inhabitants of this earth, we are stewards, not owners. As such, we are accountable to God, the owner, for what we do with his creation. For it is expedient that I, the Lord, 
should make every man accountable as a steward over earthly blessings, which I have made and prepared for my creatures. How we care for the earth, how we utilize and share its bounty, and how we treat all that has been provided for us is part of our test in mortality. We are to gratefully make use of that which the Lord has provided, avoid wasting life and resources, and use the bounty of the earth to care for the poor. The Lord cares deeply for all life, and especially for His children, and will hold us accountable for what we choose to do or not do with the bounties of His creation. The Lord promises us that if we follow Him and judiciously use the resources of the earth with thanksgiving and respect, the fullness of the earth is ours, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. And it pleaseth God that He hath given all these things unto man. For unto this end were they made to be used, with judgment not to excess, neither by extortion. We are to use these resources with judgment and gratitude, with the intent to help others, present, past, and future generations, receive the blessings that our Heavenly Father desires for His children. Seeing Beyond Ourselves Sadly, today we live in a world where individuals may choose to reject God and treat His creation with disdain. When this occurs, God and creation are pained. Enoch records that God wept on account of the poor choices and suffocating selfishness of his children. Moroni prophesied that in the latter days there would be fires and tempests and vapors of smoke and great pollutions upon the face of the earth, and that such conditions would be coupled with all manner of abominations, when there shall be many who will say, do this or do that, and it mattereth not. When man pollutes this world spiritually or temporally, not only God, but nature also suffers. Importantly, the blessings and power available through the Lord's restored church and gospel have the capacity to stretch and change the human soul beyond self, to inspire love of God and His creations, and to help us think of others' welfare and consider the needs of future generations. Nature brings us closer to God. The earth and all life are more than items to be consumed and or conserved. Some parts and portions thereof are also to be preserved. Unspoiled nature and all things which come of the earth are made for the benefit of man, to please the eye and gladden the heart, and to enliven the soul. Nature, in its pristine state, brings us closer to God, clears the mind and heart of the noise and distractions of materialism, lifts us to a higher, more exalted sphere, and helps us to better know our God. The earth rolls upon her wings, and the sun giveth his light by day and the moon giveth her light by night, and the stars also give their light. Anyone who hath seen any or the least of these hath seen God moving in His majesty and power. I still love to hike high in the mountains among the magnificent granite rocks and peaks. 
although silent, they speak of the power and majesty of God, and of His matchless genius for beauty. As Alma testified, All things denote there is a God, yea, even the earth, and all things that are upon the face of it, do witness that there is a supreme Creator. I love stargazing at night, trying to wrap my mind around the eternity of time and space within my gaze. I always marvel at the knowledge that comes in those quiet moments that, despite the vastness of the cosmos, the Lord of the universe knows puny me, and He knows each of us. The creation witnesses of the Creator, and if we preserve these special unspoiled places, they will eloquently and profoundly witness of our God and inspire us onward. The better we care for this world and all in it, the better it will sustain, inspire, strengthen, enliven, and gladden our hearts and spirits, and prepare us to dwell with our Heavenly Father, with our families, in a celestial sphere, which will be the very earth upon which we stand today, but in a glorified state. May we gratefully care for this earth, our present and potential future home. End of the article Becoming Better Stewards of the Earth God Created for Us by Elder Marcus B. Nash of the Seventy Read by Van Farnworth Young Adults What infertility has taught me about multiplying and replenishing the earth. While waiting to have children, I learned that I could multiply and replenish the earth in other ways. By Jean Yellowhorse In the beginning, God created man and woman and gave them a commandment. Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, Moses chapter 2 verse 28. My husband and I have been married for four and a half years, yet we have no children. There may be those reading who would respond, and I've heard it all before. Oh, but you're still young. Just enjoy this time without kids. Take advantage of the freedom while it lasts. I've learned not to take offense and to simply let the comments pass because I know those speaking don't mean to be hurtful. I realize that there are people who have been married longer who still do not have children. However, I do know that even though it's been only four years, that still doesn't mean it's been easy. There are moments that are easy. For the past two years, my husband and I have lived in Europe, traveling to places we never dreamed we'd get to go. We've eaten delicious food, and we've met tons of friends from around the globe who have enlarged our ideas, opinions, and worldviews. In many ways, it would be foolish not to be grateful for this time. My relationship with my husband has been strengthened, I've learned a ton, and we've had some amazing adventures. But we've also spent many nights on the couch watching movies. We've created memories that our future children won't be a part of. Our ward has only one couple without children, and, uh, spoiler alert, it's us. And it seems like no matter what adventures we are having, the thought of children is always there. During my ups and downs, 
I have found myself often reflecting on the commandment given to Adam and Eve. We believe that this commandment remains in full force today and that we are expected to follow it. However, my husband and I haven't been able to. But neither could Adam and Eve at first. So what did they do? The only thing they knew how. They took care of the garden. While I don't live in the Garden of Eden, I do live in the Garden of Earth, the Garden of the Netherlands, the Garden of my family, and the Garden of my ward. These are my gardens that the Lord has asked me to multiply and replenish. These are the words that have been the focus of my pondering. These words have helped me to refocus my life on serving others and the Lord. I often think about, how can I multiply the gifts that the Lord has given me and others? How can I multiply love toward God's children? How can I multiply my time and effort to serve others? How can I replenish my own spiritual well? How can I replenish what others have lost? whether temporal or spiritual? How can I replenish hope and faith that seems to be lost for many in the world? As I've focused more on these questions, I have been blessed with opportunities to answer them in powerful ways. I have had the opportunity to serve in the Young Women Organization. I have had the flexibility to drop whatever I'm doing and help someone pack or care for friends' children. I have been able to teach theater to kids from all over the globe. I've spent more time studying the gospel. I've been able to better bear the burdens of others and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And most importantly, I have gained a greater knowledge, testimony, and spiritual understanding of the gospel and God's plan for me. I'm not saying the commandment to multiply and replenish doesn't mean to have children. We are here to raise families up in righteousness, and that includes having children, if possible. But while waiting for the blessings of children, we can still fulfill that commandment by taking care of the gardens around us. So when I get sad, upset, bitter, jealous, angry, or scared because of my infertility, I always try to ask myself, what am I doing to take care of my gardens? And that makes all the difference. Jean Yellowhorse is a drama teacher who loves socializing, playing games, and exploring the world, both real and fictional. Since the writing of this article, Jean and her husband have moved on to their next adventure and garden in New Mexico, USA. End of the article. For young adults, what infertility has taught me about multiplying and replenishing the earth? By Jean Yellowhorse. Read by Kristen Hawkins. More for you. You can find more articles specifically for young adults in the digital version of the March Liahona in the Gospel Library at churchofjesuschrist.org or in the mobile app. This month, you'll find more articles about ways we can care for the earth and become better stewards over God's creations. Digital articles. My One Pair of Pants, A Gospel Perspective on Living Simply, by Samuel Hoppenon, Usama, Finland. 
For the Sake of the Beauty of the Earth by Annalise Gardner, Church Magazines. House Plants and Answered Prayers by David Dixon, Church Magazines. How Nature Helped Me Connect with the Creator by Chakel Wardley Herbert, Church Magazines. Three Ways to Be a Good Steward of the Earth According to a Young Adult Biologist by Jared Meek, New York, USA. YA Weekly. You can also find new articles each week in YA Weekly, located in the Young Adults section of the Gospel Library app. From the Mission Field, Why a Service Mission Was the Best Option for Me, by Ashton Ludington, Utah, USA. Life Skills. Make Your Space Sacred with These Tips for Tidying Up, by Molly Holt, Church Magazines. End of the article, More for You. Read by Dwayne Case. For the Sake of the Beauty of the Earth by Annalise Gardner, Church Magazines. The earth is a gift for us to enjoy, but God desires us to take care of this creation too. Have you looked around at the gloriousness of the earth lately? Have you noticed the sound of the wind rustling through trees? appreciated the sweet scent of wildflowers, or let your eyes linger on the perfection of each fluffy cloud in the sky. Heavenly Father has created beautiful wonders for all of his children to enjoy, but sometimes it's easy to forget that we have a stewardship to keep the world beautiful for ourselves and for everyone else. The scriptures tell us that all things which come of the earth are made for the benefit and the use of man. Doctrine and Covenants, section 59, verse 18. And that God has commanded humankind to subdue the earth and have dominion over every living thing. Moses, chapter 2, verse 28. We all will be held accountable as a steward over earthly blessings. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 13. And we regularly raise our voices in a hymn of grateful praise for the beauty of the earth. Are we being good caretakers of the earth? So how do we appreciate and take care of this beautiful earth that was created for us? One way is by considering how our current choices about the planet will affect all of God's children, not just ourselves. After all, our forebearers' choices have affected us, whether directly or indirectly, for better or for worse. We can ask ourselves if we are taking care of God's creations, being generous to others, not being wasteful with resources, and being grateful for all He has given us. We can consider if we are creating a world where future generations can learn and live the gospel, and if we are preparing the earth for the second coming of Jesus Christ. In a conference with the LDS Earth Stewardship Organization, Sister Sharon Eubank, first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency, asked, when we waste what others desperately need, what are the ramifications to our physical hearts and our unity? This is a difficult question for people who live in what we call first world countries, because it's almost impossible not to waste things. Yet our Lord and God, as the Creator, wastes nothing. His system has no waste. 
When we waste what others desperately need, what does that do to the fabric that stretches between us as human beings? How to better care for the earth. What can we do to take care of the earth and not waste its precious resources? How can we help maintain and preserve the beauty of the earth? Here are a few ideas to spark inspiration. Remember the Creator. It's easy to see the beauty and power in nature, but sometimes we can forget where that beauty comes from. Don't worship the creation instead of the Creator. The earth testifies there is a supreme Creator. See Alma chapter 30, verse 44. Live Lagom. In Swedish, the word lagom means enough or just the right amount. If we use moderation in everything we consume, food, clothing, products, we can avoid wasting valuable resources. Lagom means finding a balance of not too much, but also not too little. Learn about your environment. Find out what animals and plants are native to where you live. Learn their names and facts about them. For instance, these plants don't need much water. These animals are nocturnal. Learning about your environment changes the way you interact with it. Live the word of wisdom. It's pretty easy to see the connection between the earth and what we eat. We can help take care of God's creations by living the word of wisdom. This includes eating fruits and grains, but using meat sparingly and with gratitude. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 89. Evaluate your actions. How do your actions affect your environment? Your environment includes the nature, space, and people around you. Taking a good look at your impact on the world will help you gain the information you need to receive inspiration from Heavenly Father on what you can do to help take care of the world. God created the earth for us and to help meet our needs. So by caring for the earth, we are also helping to take care of his children and all his creations. President Russell M. Nelson has said, as beneficiaries of the divine creation, what shall we do? We should care for the earth, be wise stewards over it, and preserve it for future generations. And we are to love and care for one another. As we heed this counsel and do our part to help care for the earth, we will start to appreciate more and more each hill and vale and tree and flower. Our efforts will be worth it for ourselves, for future generations, and for the continued beauty of the earth. Discover more. You can learn more about taking care of the earth in the young adults section of the March 2021 Liahona. Check out Young Adult Weekly, located in the young adults section under Audiences in the Gospel Library for new, inspiring content for young adults each week. You can submit your own articles, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. End of the article. For the sake of the beauty of the earth, 
by Annalise Gardner, Church Magazines, read by Jane Wise. Digital Only, Young Adults My One Pair of Pants, A Gospel Perspective on Living Simply by Samuel Haponen I have found so much joy in a lifestyle that supports the cause of taking care of the earth. I own only one pair of pants, a pair of neat black jeans. It may sound unusual, but that silly fact has brought me much joy. After college, I had to move out of my apartment in Finland, and since I had planned a two-month trip to the United States, I had to figure out what to do with all my belongings. So I made an inventory of everything I owned, and realized that I actually needed much less than I had. After some honest contemplation, I decided to sell my excess belongings before moving out. I loved how it felt. And though it has been a few years, the feeling of not having many belongings is incredibly liberating to this day. While I can't say I'm a full-on minimalist, I've definitely shifted my lifestyle in that direction. Being more aware of what and how much I consume has naturally made me think about my personal responsibility for the environment especially from a gospel perspective. Abundance versus excess. In the scriptures, we learn that the earth was created for us to inhabit and that all things on the earth were made for our benefit. We've been advised to be good stewards of this earth, which prompts the question of how we can fulfill that important responsibility. One way is by evaluating what resources we use. The Lord provided us with these resources so that we could have in abundance, but He also knows human nature, so He warned us against using these resources to excess. Anything in excess can cause us to take things for granted, which could result in not only a hardened heart or a failure to recognize whom our blessings are from, but also, in this case, environmental problems. This has often made me wonder, where is the line between having in abundance and having too much? Doctrine and Covenants section 59 verses 18 and 19 introduces the idea that all things which come of the earth are made for the benefit and the use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. We can understand that the resources aren't given to us only for survival, they're also meant to contribute to our joy. Finding Joy in Having Less When I was deciding which clothes to get rid of and which ones to keep, I held on to only as much as I felt I actually needed, and also which items I enjoyed the most. I realized that in possessing a lot of something, like clothing, I had a harder time appreciating it. After committing to the pants that I really liked and actually used, I felt greater joy wearing them. This applied to many of my other belongings, too. Sometimes it might be good to do some evaluating in our lives and to make adjustments to our relationship with these God-given resources. In my case, I was able to find joy in having less, and it resulted in a lifestyle change that helped me take care of the earth. Though our individual efforts to care for the earth may not seem to make a significant difference, we can be willing to educate ourselves and act. We can seek the guidance of the Spirit as we evaluate our lives and make decisions about our material possessions and our actions. As the Lord is mindful of all of His creations, even every blade of grass, may we also be sufficiently mindful of this earth by making necessary changes, finding what we enjoy about it, and shifting our hearts to preserve it. 
Samuel Heponen is a 31-year-old creative professional from Finland who enjoys having little but experiencing a lot. Seek to simplify. Elder L. Tom Perry of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the Liahona November 2008 said, In our search to obtain relief from the stresses of life, may we earnestly seek ways to simplify our lives. May we comply with the inspired counsel and direction the Lord has given us in the great plan of happiness. Discover more. You can learn more about taking care of the earth in the young adults section of the March 2021 Liahona. Check out YA Weekly, located in the young adults section under Audiences in the Gospel Library, for new, inspiring content for young adults each week. End of the article, My One Pair of Pants, A Gospel Perspective on Living Simply, read by Wes Nelson. Charting the Words of Church Leaders Inspired church leaders have been speaking to Latter-day Saints since the first General Conference on June 9, 1830. What words from General Conference have blessed your life? Doctrine and Covenants, section 21, verses 4 through 5. Thou shalt give heed unto all the prophet's words and commandments, which he shall give unto you. For his word ye shall receive, as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. 10,000-plus talks, and 24,000,000-plus words shared at General Conference. Number of Language Interpretations of General Conference 1961, 2 1971, 8 1981, 18 1991, 27 2001, 51 2011, 80 2021-96 First General Conference broadcasts over the radio, October 1924 Five Most Quoted Scriptures in General Conference Number 1 Moses chapter 1, verse 39 From the Pearl of Great Price Number 2 Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 From the Old Testament Number 3. Joseph Smith History, Chapter 1, Verse 17, from the Pearl of Great Price. Number 4. Moses, Chapter 7, Verse 18, from the Pearl of Great Price. Number 5. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 13, Verse 1. End of the article, read by Jean Nelson.